Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. <laughs> Hello and welcome to Food for Thought, a podcast gap fest for in a multiracial mix of queer writers gather around the table to talk about sex, Ooh. identity, <laughs> culture. <laughs> I'm doing oh, all no. of them. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> what we like to read and who we like to read. Food for Thought, a truly butt-clenching buffet of buffoonery. <laughs> I feel, are we butt-clenching or butt-unclenching? We're definitely a buffet. I am in that, always. You know, a lot of people have had contact with us. Yeah. And a lot we'll of probably have, give have you norovirus. Yeah, yeah. We'll probably give you norovirus. I don't even want to know what norovirus is. No. Please do not tell me. <laughs> not interested. I will be pissed. If anybody informs me, no, okay? no, noted. I swear Just, to God. Don't go on a cruise. Don't eat do, food on a cruise. As if I would ever go on a yeah, cruise. Yeah, I know. Can you imagine Fran on a cruise? so 1980. I feel like every summer, a photo emerges of that, like, mega cruise that has, like, thousands of, like, faggots on it in, like, yes. Greece or whatever that uh-huh. has, like, the dance no. floor the size of, like, Nantucket. Yes. And, like, I cannot imagine a greater hell. Spiral oh, into a panic that attack. Oh, yes. No. So, I mean, I love gay mess. I love gay parties. I love stuff like that. But that is to not be able to leave. That's what it is going right to say. Yeah. That's, yes, that's, to not be able ult- to leave. Cannot opt that out. is my ultimate fear. I, I need to know the exits of every room that I get into. I need to know <laughs> that I can leave at any time. And yeah. that is my prerogative. And being on a cruise ship is like the opposite of that. It's I, inescapable. I mean, you could always just jump into the water. And to be honest, a space like that would probably make me, a person who does not know how to swim, jump into the water. Did you know that... Cruise ships have morgues. Oh my god! <laughs> yeah, Joe's laughing makes at my, sense. The, the way my face no, drops. That's horrible. It makes sense. That's that makes disgusting. sense. Disgusting. Because what I mean, else are you going to do with the body? Crazy. Yeah. What are you going to do with the body? You're out it to is, sea. It, they, it's like its own municipality. They have like police. They have like they have everything that a city has. Yeah. yeah. You want to know it? Is no. a great. Uh, thing is the David Foster Wallace essay about cruises. That supposedly fun thing that I'll never you're, do again. You're welcome, everybody. <laughs> wow. Re- re- requisite when, David Foster Wallace oh, essay. Joe. When Mention. won't you find an opportunity? I love when you give me recommendations that I absolutely will not pursue. <laughs> it's, it's a relief, honestly. Do not add it to the to, to-do list. Yeah, we're not, right, book- we are right. not bookmarking. All right, all right, all right, all right, all right, people. I am Tommy Teebs, Pico, Indigenous American poet, TV writer. And this week I learned that season two of Reservation Dogs will be premiering August 3rd. So put it in your calendars, thoughties. That is so amazing. I am Joseph Onspenson, scientist, nonfiction writer. And like Teebs, I'm here for self-promo. My book comes out in a week and a half time. If you're in New York City, June 7th at The Strand, there will be an event. If you're in Chicago, Seattle, L.A., or Miami, stay tuned. The events are coming to you soon. Get strapped in because we're doing this thing, motherfuckers. Yay! (laughs) Yay! The the most half-assed yay ever of all time. (laughs) Hi, y'all. I'm Den Michelle Norris. I'm a reader, a writer, a former figure skater. And after the night I had last night, just call me your sexapro because... Sexapro! Oh, wow. <laughs> she, had, she performed last night. That's wow. what I need to say about that. Anytime I hear the word sexapro is, I mean, you know... That's, That's it's very on brand for the podcast. But anytime I hear the word Lexapro, I always think of Mario, and I I think 
Lexapro. You know what I mean? Like I always hear like a kind of Italian. Back to our roots here. It's a our Italian. It's a Lexapro. It's a Lexapro. Give me the Lexapro. Give me the Lexapro. Give me the spicy Lexapro. It's a spicy Lexapro. It's a big mushroom. Surprising no one. Somebody save us. I got the menu. I got the menu. Today, y'all, number one, we're giving you monkey pox. Number two, we're dreaming big dreams. That's what the show is all about. The dream is no longer having to give you monkey pox. And for our final dessert, just one little bite. Take it away. Mm -hmm. I'm feeling a little peckish. Uh, I think uh, we should start the top of the show the way any good top should with a little treat. Our uproarious appetizer segment abuse boosh. And like, oh, God. Ho, mm. we're we're doing a, a, a Joe the mm. Science Ho, and it's a topic that I do not want to think about, not but we have to. I'm never, I, I truly hope to never have to do one of these again. It is hearkening back to 2020 when I did a Joe Otha Science Ho on COVID-19 to let the thotties know this is something that should be on your radar. Uh, I will say it is, um, what is May 24th. I don't anticipate by the time that this comes out on Sunday, we're going to be in a significantly different position. Although we did have a bunch of new cases of monkeypox confirmed just today. Um, it's just something that needs to be on our radar. This is not like, this is not me in 2020 screaming, holy fuck, we're all going to be screwed for years. Uh, this is just something that queers in particular are going to want to look out for. So monkeypox is not a new virus. When I was doing my PhD in the aughts, we learned all about monkeypox. It's been around since the 50s. It was first discovered in monkeys, although that is not the natural place where it lives at. Uh, it, the first human case was discovered in 1970, I believe. It is a very similar virus to smallpox, but it's a little bit milder. It is significantly less lethal, although we don't know exactly how lethal it is yet, and we hope to not find out. But it's a virus that, in general, is thought to have a phase where you get a flu-like illness, and that kind of goes away, and then you get this skin rash that can be anywhere from super localized Ugh. to, like, full body covered with initial like zits and then they they kind of go into like a pustule and then they kind of burst and then they kind of slough off okay so that's that's what we're talking about oh great Um, anytime pustules enters the conversation you didn't have to repeat that word Dan. you didn't really have to say pustules Dan. Stop saying pustules. (laughs) That's pustules. We've got to continue saying pustules until the bodies know. Why are we saying pustules? Why is everyone saying pustules? Pustules. I'm glad we can we can we can treat this as maturely as is necessary. (laughs) Um, So look. This is a virus that's been around at least since the 70s, definitely before then. Uh, and it's a virus that tr- transmits a lot in animals and then every once in a while pops into humans. The It's not super infectious in humans and it usually pops into humans, infects a few people, and then dissipates uh, uh, of its own natural accord. This is the first time ever, why we're a little scared about it now, this is the first time ever that monkeypox has tra- transmitted from human to human outside of the region where it's endemic. Right. So this is we're talking about Central and Western Africa. Uh, So the fact that like we have evidence now in the U.S. and U.K. and Spain uh, and Portugal of people who have had this virus, who are positive for this virus, but with no travel history to the region where the virus normally hangs out at. uh, That is of concern. And so like as a scientist, you're going, well, that's abnormal. That's new. But the big concern for the thotties out there is that some but not all cases uh, have been identified in men who have sex with men. Uh, so the public health term is MSM, men who have sex with men. Uh, it's meant to not say gay and bi, uh, because it's obviously the only people who have sex with men aren't just gay and bi men. Um, and in particular, some but not all of the transmission appears to be linked to things like large raves and bathhouses. Okay? So look, we're going to have this entire conversation. I love raves. Well, except that they start too late at night, and I'm old now. <laughs> and I live for a bathhouse. The bathhouse is like my favorite place in the world. This is not a, a, a podcast that is stigmatizing um, those acts or situations. Um, at the same time, if we are having um, clear evidence of spread 
of a, of a virus that we don't know very much about yet at those places, I think it's important, number one, to just know that this is going on. If you're the type of person who hooks up on apps or goes to bathhouses or sex parties, it should be on your radar uh, that this might be something to watch out for. Um, basically, the way that we think this is presenting in this community is really easy to confuse with chlamydia, syphilis, herpes, or gonorrhea. Oh, um, yum. We, we think that Lunchtime. a lot of these lesions are being isolated to the mouth and the genitals. Lesions. So, yes. So it look it might present to a doctor like gonorrhea or syphilis or herpes. The doctor, if it's you know presenting as syphilis, will give an antibiotic. The patient will go away, take the drug. Three weeks later, the infection is cleared. Right. So we think that this has maybe been going on for some time. And it's just now that we've started looking for monkeypox, like testing for it in the States or in Europe. And that's why we're finding it now. So look, what I'm telling my friends now, I, I don't think yet is the time to be like, cancel all sex parties. We shut down the bathhouses. But it's it's about good practice to care for the people who go to those places. If you have a, a rash or something abnormal going on with your skin, even if you're super looking forward to going to X party or traveling to Chicago for yes. IML, like just, just just see the doctor. Yeah. Get tested. Again, I think this is a place. Do you think where it would prove difficult to convince your doctor? Do you think it'll be difficult to convince your doctor to test you for it? Like, how was, do you have yeah. that conversation? I was just going to talk about this. I think this is, okay. is going to be a place. So the CDC put out an, an advisory to doctors that says, hey, we're seeing this. If you see a patient presenting with these symptoms that are common for syphilis, gonorrhea, uh, herpes infections, you, you need to be advised that it might be monkeypox. The problem right now, and this is something that I'm working on with my little activist group, is that right now um, it's very difficult for doctors to test for it. But you as a patient, you might know more than your doctor. This happens with PrEP all the time, right? Where the patient comes in, they're like, I want X. And sometimes, especially a few years ago, your doctor might not even have known what PrEP was. Right. And so I think this might be another case where if you are having a weird skin thing going on in your bits and pieces and you go see your doctor and you're like, I'd like to have a monkeypox test included along with all the other STIs, they might not know what that is. But you can come prepared with the CDC guidance, the web page that says, here's what it is. Here's what to look for, and here's how to test for it. And we're really hoping that in the next week or two, we manage to turn the testing situation around because right now, the only place to test for monkeypox is to send the sample directly to the CDC, like in the mail. Uh, and this is not ideal because what we want to do is if someone has it, we want to let them know ASAP so they can, number one, there's vaccines against the virus and there's treatments for the virus. So we want to, if you have it, find out you have it. We'll give you treatments. And then what we'll do is say, hey, have you had any sex with anyone in the last two weeks? The ideal here is that we could go to those people and vaccinate them so they never even get sick. Right. We don't have enough vaccine to to give it to everyone in America, but this is called ring vaccination. Right. Like if you have an infection has an incubation period of two weeks, I can just go, hey. Who have you been in close contact with in those two weeks? And then you can call up all those people and offer them a preventative measure so they never even get it to begin with, right? So the good news is, as opposed to COVID, the science here is super well established, right? This virus has been studied a long time. We already have vaccines. We already have treatments. It's much more about moving that infrastructure into place, number one, and to us, for, from, from me to you to our community to say, hey... Don't freak out. If this happens to you, it is not your fault. There is no negative association to getting this virus. The virus has a horrible name. You know, it has is transmitting and has transmitted among marginalized populations. It's just a virus. We know how to deal with it. If you think you might have it, ask your doctor for a test. If you test positive, try to get that treatment. Take care of those around you by trying to, you know, think about if those people can get some vaccine, we know what to do. But it really is, I really think in this case, the queer community is, we're going to be leaders sometimes of our doctors, of our public health officials calling for the right things to be done and not in a way that treats us like shit in the meantime. I don't want to be a leader of monkey paw. <laughs> I know. That's not fun. I I, no, I, no I one signed up for look, this. No one signed I, look, up for this. I know that, like, uh, under like a scientific umbrella, I'm an MSM, but I am not 
and M. So like, I will not yeah. tolerate this slander. And also, I will say, <laughs> I will, I will say, like, uh, as far as like uh, MSM, like, is so retro, but I kind of love it. Or also, have you heard MLM, Men Loving Men? Which I've no. heard that term used before. Someone was like MLM, as in Men Who Love Men. And I was like, multi-level marketing schemes? I know. <laughs> I was like, kind of the same I thing, know. yeah. But men are yeah. kind of like a multi-layer marketing scheme, if you think about it. Fully. Fully men are a multi-layer marketing scheme. Yeah. You know, it's, and it's all – you know, I think the other thing that I will say is that, um, you know, queers have built a relationship with a lot of public health officials who have worked on HIV. Like, um, you know, people – testing for HIV, testing for STIs have gone to sex parties and will do that testing there. When there's been um, cases of uh, viral meningitis occurring that have been linked to sex parties, public health officials will go to that, go to those parties and offer vaccinations right there on site as people are coming in the door. So Mm -hmm. we need to rely on those trusting relationships, those longstanding relationships. And on the public health side, we found out that like some of those people with that expertise weren't being called into the room to talk about monkeypox. And it's like, come on, Mm. like these are the people with the relationships, with the expertise Mm. um, to actually go to the communities, be like, not just go to the communities, be in the community, be of the community, say, I am you, you are I, we go to these parties together and there's a way to keep them safer for, for all of us and to make sure they're not targeted and there's less stigma. And it's all of us just being proactive about it. TBZ. I, I have a question. So it so monkeypox is 100% sexually transmitted. No, 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 not at all. Okay. We don't even we don't even think it's sexually transmitted. It's just transmitted by sk- close person-to-person contact and skin-to-skin contact. And like sex generally has skin-to-skin contact involved, right? So it's it's not even the sex per se. It's just the 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 type of you know, if if there if you're at a, even like a rave where there's not sex, but like there's a lot of people in a small space all breathing the same air and all kind of shirtless and touching each other's bodies, you know, any site like that will be of higher risk for transmission of this virus. So it is it's skin to skin. That's what we think. I was okay. just having a debate with my friends over whether we were sure about that or maybe it's in semen. We don't actually know that much yet, but skin to skin for sure. OK, well, then I'm safe. You are very safe, Teebs. <laughs> when was the last time that, that Teebs felt the, the touch of skin? The human touch. <laughs> been been a, it's been a minute, and that was before pandemic, so... Huh. Yeah. Yeah, and general, <laughs> this, is not, this is not the time to panic. This is not a virus to panic about or the time to panic. Um, I'm way less alarmed than I was early COVID times. It's not as not on our radar. It's a known pathogen... Um, I just want us to watch out for each other. That's it. So, okay. Does this mean that I shouldn't be going to the underwear party on Fire Island <laughs> next month? Dan, I, I did go to the underwear party on Fire Island when I was there this weekend. I was the only per- not the There were two of us throughout the night. I wore my mask. I stayed by the door that was open, so got lots of fresh air. Uh, and I was not super engaged in backroom situations. So, you know, it's not like, oh, I'm in the room with someone with monkeypox. I'm going to get monkeypox. It's more like, are there 30 bodies all touching in a big sex pile in the back room? That's mm-hmm. a higher risk uh, engagement okay. that, for, for this particular virus. So, you know, I think, you know, you can take that into account in terms of what types of engagements you want to have in higher risk spaces. Is I there love when, a- oh, sorry, go. I was going to say, is there um, a school of scientific thought on why it's presenting so much in men who have sex with men? Um, we can decide later to keep this in or take this out. But yes, essentially, there are two hypotheses. One is that the virus has changed its sequence and the virus essentially, maybe it's a new variant, for example, of monkeypox virus that's a little more transmissible or has different routes of transmission. Like maybe it's easier to transmit in semen than it was before. So that's one hypothesis. The other hypothesis is that this is maybe the virus's first introduction to MSM networks, right? So bathhouses and sex parties. So that that is a higher risk. Um, those are higher risk situations for 
transmission of this virus. And it's just that, you know, the virus doesn't usually hang out in people that much. And normally this virus totally just hang, hangs out in rodents, right? And so that virus pops into people only but so often. And that this time the virus popped into a person and that per- person popped into a bathhouse. And then that sort of led to this new spread of this new mechanism of spread. And we don't really know that. Or it could be that this has always been going on. It's just that it's always been under the radar, right? And I would so like to now propose we're, we're finding theory. it because we're looking for it. I propose Keep, a theory, which is that which is that monkeypox is spread among MSMs because MSMs love to touch each other all the time and can't stop. Like uh-huh. literally, like I'll just be saying uh-huh. hi to like you know a casual girlfriend, and we'll just be like, "Oh, hey, how's it going?" And then like fully kiss with tongue like to say with hi the honestly, yeah, with the face just absolutely with the face the amount of times that Joe gets on this podcast and he's like okay there's a new thing you know it's not really much to worry about you don't you, you don't have to get, exercise a ton of precaution you just have to watch out for bathhouses sex parties and raves and like every faggot sitting at home listening to this podcast is like oh no <laughs> oh no that's where I spend I five days a week uh, girl I know <laughs> I know. Yeah. Anyways, I mean, that's not where we, I we, spend five days a week, but you know, we can't that. catch it. Basically, the the slutty magical fags can't catch a break in this year of our Lord 2022. But this is yeah. a, I don't think this is going to be forever, y'all. This is this is going to be a a blip. I hope. At, at I least think Teebs, hope. at least Teebs won't catch it because he's an M, but he does an SM. <laughs> nope. <laughs> do not. Do not. not haven't and refuse. <laughs> refuse. Also, could, it, could it could it also be that that um popular like that for for men who have sex with men um we have more of a by by virtue of you know the aids and hiv crisis and the 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 i don't know that we like test more Mm, yeah i mean probably yeah it it definitely all of these things so i was talking to my good friend Kaleso. Um, who's an epidemiologist who studies social networks. Like, this is literally what he studies. Like, how does a virus make an introduction into a new network that then um, causes it to spread? And actually, what nodes do we break? Like, who do we vaccinate in order such that that whole network of um, of interactions, of viral spread, stops? You actually don't have to vaccinate everyone. You might just have to vaccinate certain people who travel in certain ways or whatever. It's like, really, his research is the coolest. Um, and all of that, I just, you know, we just, it's going to be scientifically a fascinating next few months to see what happens. But I just want all my babies to, to be aware, to make risk aware choices. Um, we think that this virus is, is fatal very rarely, probably in significantly less than 1% of cases. Uh, and it is not likely to be a lifelong infection. It's likely to be a chronic infection, two, three weeks. Um, so, you know, I don't want to catastrophize um, at the same time. I just want folks to, to know what's up. Nice. Wow. Well, thank you, Joe. Wow. Thank you. Ho doesn't want to catastrophize. You know what that what is? What is going on? I, 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 gross. I do you want to catastrophize. Growth. I, <laughs> I, I do want to catastrophize. I don't want other people to. Yeah, you will. You will. <laughs> All right. Um, I think it's time we get to the meat of our discussion, the thought process, spelled T-H-O-T. T-H-O-T. And uh, who, Joe, I believe you, you got the sound yeah. this week. Say moi, it's me, y'all. I've been thinking, this is a thing that I've been thinking about for a long time. Uh, dreams. You know, I've been thinking about how they mean two such distinct things. As someone with insomnia, um, dreams are largely terrifying because you can have bad dreams or you can have good dreams when you go to sleep at night, but you're really out of control. Like, I'm not a person who can control my dreams. And being the feeling of being stuck in a bad dream is actually something that can sometimes drive my insomnia. Or if I have a really bad, this happened the other night, I had a really bad dream, so bad that I was so scared that I like shocked myself out of sleep. And I got up at like 6 a.m. and I couldn't fall asleep for a long time because I didn't want to lose the control over where my brain would go. And then the other thing that I was thinking about is when we talk about dreams, we talk about your aspirations, the things you want in life. And I think I like dreams and reverie because it doesn't have to be super practical. Your dream in life could be something that is totally unachievable. My, you know, my dream is to go to the moon or to travel to space or to have sex with Michael B. Jordan. And it can just be a nice little um, sort of thing that makes you smile whether or not it's actually that practical. So I I wanted to start the conversation in that space, the space of 
baby us, baby gays, baby not M's, not S-ing at all, <laughs> um, and trying to stay away from other M's. What mm-hmm. is a dream from your youth or your childhood, or even now, that is just like something that makes you smile, but you know it'll never, ever, 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 ever happen in life? I wanted to be Janet Jackson. I mean, well, yes. <laughs> well, yes. That was never going to happen. But, you know, I was like, I wanted to, you know, I was like, wanted to be a singer and a dancer. And I just wanted to be Mike. I wanted to be Janet Jackson. And I wanted to do Black Cat. I wanted to do Rhythm Nation. I was a part of the Rhythm Nation. I was a founding fucking member of the Rhythm Nation. Okay. That's all yes. I have to say about that. Wanting to be Janet Jackson, far fucking fetched. But some would argue that, like, Wanting to be a fucking poet in New York is also an absolutely far-fetched yeah, thing. I mean, who who does that? And, you know, that was that was the... I remember I sat down with a friend of mine and I told her what <laughs> that that's what I wanted to do with my life. And she was like, yeah, well, when you grow up, you'll realize that <laughs> that's not actually possible. So... Bump that. Here you are. What about you, Dan? Oh, my God. First of all, I just want to say that being a little baby queer growing up in Cleveland Heights, Ohio, dreams were my currency for survival. Like, yes, baby, you ev- say that. Every little thing was a dream. It was a, I mean, from feeling safe in my school, like that was a dream. Like, oh, maybe today I'll wake up and go to school and I won't be harassed to, you know, the motivation to get out of um, my home situation, my family situation to get to New York, which we've talked about on the show a lot, that how we all dreamed about coming to New York, to finding a profession, to being successful, which I used to dream about so that I could control my life and make my choices and not feel like I had to do what other people wanted me to do. Um, All of those things were dreams. But in the context of this question, I always wanted to just, like, spend one day with Michelle Kwan. That was my dream. Like, I wanted... That's that's achievable. Girl. You could definitely you could totally pitch like a profile yep. on yeah. Michelle Kwan and spend a week with her. <laughs> that is yeah, true. Babe. I probably which is insane to think about. But I used to just be like, I just want to spend time with her. We could do a skating session. We could have a really delicious stir fry. Her autobiography, which when she was seventeen, introduced me to the concept of stir fry, and I became obsessed. <laughs> Um, she also introduced me to dark chocolate because that was the dessert that she would allow herself to have when she was competing. Um, I love Michelle Kwan's like impact on you as an influencer. Yes. 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 In the, in the form of a book. Um, did did she also sell you like a Casper mattress? She could have. She could have. And some, and some Herbalife. Some Herbalife. (laughs) Did she make you sign up for betterhelp.com? No, it was Bitcoin mining, girl. Bitcoin mining. (laughs) Bitcoin mining. uh... She got a brand new car on the Bitcoin. Oh my God. All of it. NFTs. No. But anyway, so yeah, I would say that was just, that was my dream. I just wanted to, I just wanted to know Michelle Kwan personally. (sighs) That's beautiful, Dan. I don't really know what my... I mean, I similar to Dan, my my dreams were also my survival as a kid. Not until I moved to New York did I really feel like I was where I belonged. I was always dreaming of elsewhere. But, like, I've sub- kind of repressed, like, all of that, all of that time. So I can't really remember what my dreams were. I did want to be an architect um, at a certain mm. point. But uh, I kind of quit that when I figured out that um, it involves math. Lots of math, Lots yes, of indeed. Math. Yeah. yeah, yeah, which yeah. I would never do. <laughs> it is, is it homophobic to have to do math? Absolutely. Math is homophobic. Yeah, I think so, right. yeah. Absolutely. Straight lines, right angles, no. Rude. Homophobe. Except the fact that it's calculating, which is very gay. <laughs> Being calculating really is funny. gay. That's true. Calculating. That's yeah. very evil uh, I, queer. Calculating acceleration is also gay, you know. Anyway, I'm done. I wanted to be an, an orchestra conductor really, really badly. Like, to the <gasps> point where I almost, like, wanted to go to school for it and stuff. But the thing about being a conductor is that you have to go through, like, performance school on an instrument. You actually have to be usually a very, very mm-hmm. proficient um, performer mm-hmm. at X Already. instrument in addition to learning all the instruments. Like, I just, I didn't have that type of talent in, in, musically. Like, I hadn't, mm. I, was a, I was a good enough piano player. I was a not very good clarinetist. Um, I did like learning other instruments. My college had this thing where um, 
because I was on financial aid, they had an instrument lending library and you got free music lessons every quarter if you were on oh, financial cute. aid. So like I did clarinet, le- I did music lessons every quarter. Um, and sometimes mostly it was clarinet, but then I did saxophone and piano and like clarinet trio. So I got to live that life through college, but I just really, really loved conducting. I thought it was, it's like such a, it's like, it's like a musical art form, but it's like, it's like dance almost. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the conductor gets to make so many choices about like what the pace should be through this section and how to deal with like this note versus that note and, and when it should get loud and when it should get soft. Um, and I just, I thought it was so beautiful. And it's just like, I still, I, I'm going to admit to you when no one is home, I put on Shostakovich four or five <gasps> and I conduct every measure. Oh to the my wall. God. Okay. that's really cute. One, that's adorable. Two, I never played Shasti 4, but I did play Shasti 5 in several orchestras. And offline, we should have a conversation because it's still one of my favorite symphonies to this day. Oh, but it's, if you what? haven't listened, Thoughties out there, if, you, if you're not familiar with classical music and you haven't listened to Shostakovich's fifth, please do. And also note that it almost got him killed mm-hmm. because he was composing in communist the USSR at the time and everything had to be patriotic, but he was very clinically depressed and also repressed by the regime. And so he tried to make this music that was like seemed on its surface patriotic and army-like, but that at its core was like a 19th century Russian novel full of doom mm-hmm. and gloom. And so there's this incredible irony between something that is a meant, which is also so fucking gay. And wasn't he gay, Shostakovich? I've, I have no idea who that is. I don't think anyway. he was, but we'll, it is honestly, we'll look it up. We'll look it up. It is he so aggressively you for that to be your favorite piece of music. <laughs> um, honestly, if we're going to talk about contemporary dreams, like mine is drag. Like the thing that I do at home alone is drag, like lip syncing. It's like studying like facial kind of like um, movements and like how you like spread the vowels on your mouth and emote with your eyes. Like that shit fascinates me. And drag, as I've said on the pod before, is my favorite art form. And so I think drag is the real answer. Fran, I would... I would mm. love to see you give a full-on drag performance. A Why would you do it? Yeah. No, you wouldn't. No, no, no. Because yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I have no hand-eye coordination. It'd be like watching a giraffe do drag. It, it really, it, it would it would not be pretty. I have too many that limbs to account for. That sounds entertaining as exactly. hell. Also, <laughs> we can like, I'm pretty that. sure a drag, that just... A, a giraffe doing drag? That is a drag, lane that drag. no one else is in, honey. Drag, no, bitch. That was Tina That was Tina Burner. Not like, Tina oh. Burner. That exists already. I you know, don't know Tina about Burner. that. She was too yellow and orange or red or whatever. Yeah, the yellow and orange. What is that? What she was that like, color story? Looks... That wasn't a dream. That was a nightmare. That was a nightmare. <laughs> Sweet dream or a beautiful oh, nightmare, maybe. Um, have y'all ever had crazy, like, real dreams? Do Because I, you know, famously yes. don't dream. I do have, like, crazy dreams, but, like, for the most part, don't. Um... Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Um, do y'all have recurring mm. dreams or like dreams I, that oh stick God. out to you? The one, the my my least favorite, I have two least favorite recurring dreams. One of them is a test I have to take that I didn't study for and I didn't show same up for class teams. the whole month. Like I didn't show up to class the whole Very semester funny. and all of a sudden I have this huge test. The Literal other same. one, yeah, the other one is like, um, like 
going through a process and not being able to complete the thing. So for example, mm. not being able to open my phone or paying for something and not being able to find my wallet in my bag or um, like trying really hard to like get something done and it's just being like a minutely away from completing the task yep. and like being thwarted at the very end and spending that entire dream in a state of constant anxiety. But I Terror. will say that like, mm-hmm. yeah, I, but like I, I, have, I have like fucking zombie dreams. I mean, I watch scary movies all the time. So of course, like fucking scary shit's going to be in my dreams and and like i've i said on the last pod i think my dreams have become so increasingly vivid on Mm. uh zoloft Mm -hmm. and 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 to the point where it's not completely obvious to me that i'm dreaming Mm -hmm. and i wake up so relieved see the thing (laughs) is like i don't i don't it doesn't i don't it doesn't make me um it doesn't it's not harder for me to to sleep because of it but but i wake up so relieved that like i don't have a test you know i had this like dream that i needed to finish college and i hadn't shown up to class for four years and i was like but wait a minute i'm a tv writer do I need a degree? <laughs> do I even need to do this shit anymore? What are you talking the, like, about? I love the like self awareness and also complete utter unself awareness of that yeah. situation. What the fuck? It's yeah, so... dreams really trip you up like psychologically. Yeah, I'm like I'm I'm a very 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 not a Freudian person. I think Freud is like 99% fucked. Totally but bullshit. Like, but I'm like interested in the dream analysis thing, not in the way that he is, which is so literal. But I do think like if you have recurring dreams about something, for example, like Teebs and I have the, literally the same recurring dream about like enrolling in a cl- in a class, forgetting about it, not going all semester and having to go one day and take the final for the class that you've completely missed. And I'm just like, the fact that I am 40 and having this dream still points to, to some anxiety, some like horrific thing that happens between the ages of zero and 22, where I felt like I was one failed class away from like complete destitution. And bitch, that is something to work on in therapy. And that is something to unpack and think about. So I do think there's like interesting information there, especially for dreams that keep coming up and are coupled with such real world vivid anxiety. That's mm. also. Everything about that to me feels 100% on brand for you, Joe. Um, but also Less on brand so for, for Teebs, though, right? Less so for Teebs. Less so, but, like, if you know Teebs well, you can kind of get that. Like, like, like a bun- we all, I think all four of us have a certain level of PTSD from, from brokenness, whether we were broke as children or whether we were broke in our 20s. Like, we all, I think, feel that, and it manifests itself in different ways. Um, I don't have recurring dreams as an adult, but as a kid, I had a recurring dream up until I was about 10. It was frequent. And when I say frequent, I mean like many, multiple times a month, maybe even multiple times a week. I would wake up from this nightmare that I was just, I would wake up having already fallen from a building and it was a building that was like a hundred stories high and I would be falling for the entirety of the dream and I would wake up before I had hit the ground like I think it was a very quick process but I had that dream for years and then all of a sudden at some point it just stopped and not only have I not had that dream again I've never had recurring dreams but I had a pretty bonkers dream um over the weekend I think on maybe Saturday night where I dreamt that I was at some red carpet event with Hollywood celebrities I was me I was not a Hollywood celebrity but I got to meet my fantasy friend, Carrie Washington. And I was like, oh my gosh, I'm like, I'm a black trans woman. I'm an editor um, in publishing. I was like telling her all about like who I am. Carrie Washington. Carrie Washington. That's too on the nose. I had not like watched anything with her. Like I, I, I don't know where this came from, but she gives me this big hug and then she starts making out with me and then like kissing all over my face with her tongue. Uh, and in the dream monkey pox girl watch out for the monkey pox (laughs) are you a lesbian in my dream i was like i mean i'm not really into this but you're carrie washington so i'll let it happen (laughs) and like it was just so strange and then i woke up and fully had had a moment where i was like wait i was not just at a red carpet event making out with carrie washington and she was just being like i love you so much like we need more trans women in in publishing in hollywood like it was all like coming from there like i didn't think it was sexual but for some reason 
it like went there and I, everything about it baffled me. I wasn't turned on. I don't want to be licked all over by people. Like that's not part of what I'm into. It was very, very strange. And I woke up completely shocked and also realized that I was not in fact at a red carpet event. I was little old me in my Harlem apartment, um, but that I had not been licked all over by Kerry Washington and probably all things considered things worked out for the best. (laughs) Do you remember in the early days of the pandemic when when Kerry Washington would do yoga in her backyard on Instagram Live and yes. we were in the same room? <laughs> and you were I was like, wait, because you did like the heart emojis. And I was like, wait, Den, are you yep. watching Kerry Washington yep. with me? It was, do yoga. Oh, wow. Dental health support. Dark times. That was, was she dark on the, times. Was she on the Zoom doing the thing with her mouth like this? This is great radio. This is great radio. She's always doing the mouth thing. Um, the, the, okay. the tremble, like right before she cries. Yeah. Yes. Um, all of my dreams, the ones that I do remember, are about public humiliation. And unfortunately, oh, not wow. in a kinky way. Yeah. I I'd always oh. like, I always have some kind of dream where, like, I, like, have I told the one about Drag Race before? I don't think so. No. So I had this dream that I was a contestant on Drag Race. And in this dream, I, you know, for some reason during downtime, I was like, I really need to take a shit. And when I excused myself for the bathroom, like right at the least opportune moment, they were like, OK, places, everyone call time. And like we were needed like on the set of Drag Race. And I was like, oh, my God, like, why did I choose like right now? to like take a shit I need to be on set now people are going to be mad at me and like right when I'm trying to figure out like what I'm going to do and how I'm going to be- get back on set the walls of my bathroom stall fall down and I'm all of a sudden in front of the entire cast and crew of Drag Race and RuPaul laughing at me <laughs> wow that is wow. a real dream that I had this feels wow. like a thing all that of happen. my dreams are all of my dreams are like that. The ones that I remember. I so do sad. have a lot of bathroom dreams around peeing and pooping. <laughs> and I think I think it's for me like trauma, like trauma, childhood trauma of being queer or different in this space of male <laughs> na- nudity and homosociality. Why yeah, is that bathrooms are really traumatizing for spaces you, for queer people? Yeah. Ba- yeah, exactly. Bathrooms are really traumatizing spaces for queer people. And it's just like, I have a lot of dreams about that. Yeah, yeah. I always found that, like, bathroom dreams sort of um, functioned the way that kind of bathroom scenes do on sitcoms, which is like, that's the most, those are the private moments. Like, yeah. like they go to the bathroom to tell secrets or they go to the bathroom to look in the mirror. There's something, like, about... The space in the in the in in a home uh, where that's almost equalizing because it just reminds you how everyone shits and also everyone's <laughs> unclean and has to you know wash up and all that kind of stuff. Anyway, exactly. but my, my the the dream that I continue to have though is to be a singer, like not in a not in a aspirational way. I don't actually want to be a singer, but mm. when I'm home alone and by myself, I am pretending I am. Uh, I am Adele, I'm Cheryl Crow, I am Lauren Hill, I am Mariah Carey, you know what I mean? And like, Bitch, just... Teams, I, have to, I have to tell you, we've been on tour together, not just when you're <laughs> home alone by yourself, baby. <laughs> It'll be coming from the shower. The wailing will be coming from inside the house. I love it, though. Or like when I'm when I'm running and, and, the, and I'm listening to music, like the way that I can not dissociate from running, I actually lean into it, but it's like in my head, I, I am singing all of the songs that I'm hearing in the, mm-hmm. in my, in my um, iPhone or whatever. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, Teebs, wow. I do want you to become a songstress. It's my most fervent wish. Maybe we could do, honestly, maybe <laughs> we should do like a food for thought show where like you sing a number, I'll do drag, then we'll hang with Michelle Kwan, question mark. We'll yes. book Michelle yes. Kwan for the show. Yeah, no problem. All no of our, problem. all of our. Wait, Joe, jo, what was your dream? Or conducted orchestra. <laughs> oh yeah. Wait, you could just fully play, fake Joe, it. I will play in your orchestra. That's what, I'll, I'll conduct an orchestra of one. That sounds amazing. That sounds very <laughs> relaxing. That. Honestly, um, I was once told in orchestra that my natural tendency was always to rush the tempo. So I need a conductor, even when it's just me. Hmm. The, they, like, they have they have a metronome for that, baby. 
the tick tick tock, you know. They do, and that's I'm my, that, the met, a metronome is my tick tock. <laughs> I was on the I was Shut on that tick tock in 1992. Up. Wow, <laughs> babe. Here's the thing: when you sound old, we all sound old. Okay, I love so, sounding no, old. So you need to take it back, take it back, because you sound 54. <laughs> And I wish. And I really I wish. need. I'm in a place in my life right now where I need to appear and seem younger. That is where <laughs> I am mentally, psychologically. So, um, back off, um, Fran. I'm so happy you're in that place <laughs> with us. Thank you. Yes, with enough with enough Juvederm and uh, Botox, I'm sure that will become a reality. In the words of Solange. I saw things I imagined. Um, I, wait, do you know that Solange that Solange song at the beginning? No. There's this. Okay, this is very pertinent to the to, to the topic. But Solange in her at the beginning of her album, A Seat at the Table, has this song that's kind of like a. It's almost like a meditation. She just kind of says the same thing over and over again, where she says, "I saw." things I imagined and it's kind of like and she says it over and over and over again it kind of sounds like a spell and it kind of like creates this kind of overture for a larger piece about building a world like she had not known and about carving Mm. spaces out for herself that she you know didn't feel welcome in or that she didn't really see at all and I think that like as artists as creators or just people trying to make it in a certain kind of industry we really do have to like see things we imagine we have to like concretize them in front of us and believe in them so deludedly like you have to be delusional to be a marginalized person making work in this country that is what it requires you know what i mean Mm -hmm. and i think that some of the people that i admire um at least in the public eye and usually people that are that i don't know a lot of folks get very annoyed with usually are the ones that have a huge amount of confidence and a huge amount of chutzpah around like, you know, their body of work and what they do in the world. And I feel like that's something I'm always trying to emulate. Mm. I, I also think that, um, that there, like there's something about the audacity of dreams. Uh, and, and like you said, I do believe you have to be delusional to a certain extent because I, cause, cause who could imagine that future, but I think that's the first step towards making it real. I have a question. Speaking of Solange and dreams, uh, what do you have a favorite song with dream in the title? Oh, babe, way too many to pick from. I mean, obviously, Dream a Little Dream, obviously, Dreams by Fleetwood Mac, obviously, I'm Dreaming of You by Selena, like so many dream songs. Dreams think, by the Cranberries. Yeah, dude. I mean, like, I just think also um, the uh, Sleep to Dream by Fiona Apple. And one of the reasons why oh, I love yes. it so much is because it reminds me that I don't actually sleep to dream. I sleep to sleep. I actually, yes. my dreams are my real life now. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I've made my dream life real, so I don't have to sleep to dream. I also, mm. like, I, I think I honestly, this is another reason why I've been, like, tapering off weed or, like, trying to pump the brakes because, like, weed, I think, like, like makes you not dream I actually haven't even googled that but I'm pretty sure someone told me that once anyways um, I'm really inspired by artists that draw work from their literal dreams like Mm -hmm. I'm I'm failing to think of like other examples but I know that Phoebe Bridgers like I think she found the melody of Kyoto from a dream she had Mm. Um, it might not be the song Kyoto actually or maybe it is but when she like she always talks about how like that melody came to her in a dream and I was like that's so stunning like I wish I could do that as an artist I have I have one one thought and one summing up question and the thought is sort of again to put my science hat on it's like we don't really understand the science of dreams we certainly don't understand why um you would dream X thing, but dreams are almost certainly super important for the the brain processing that, that occurs when you sleep for memory formation, for example, uh, and for the type of sleep that makes you wake up feeling restful. And so I just think there's something beautiful about that as someone who has weird insomnia and also has a lot of bad dreams and is kind of afraid of, of bad dreams. I have to remember that dreams, the type I have when I'm asleep, are are my brain actually 
gifting me something when I'm awake. You know, it's my brain is doing work there that I have to appreciate and love even when it takes a dark turn. And I guess my final question for y'all is more about the real world dreams that we're talking about. If there's anything in your life like now, not like childhood dreams, but like now dreams that still feels like a, a pipe dream or like a dream, but that you actually are like serious about wanting to do or thinking you can. I want to be a showrunner. I know, I wanna, me too. I want to make TV. Ah! Teams, let's make TV together. I like. I I didn't even know I wanted to do that until I until two years ago. I mean, the mm. thing about the. You know, Morgan Parker told me this right before my first book came out. And she was like, you putting yourself out in the world like this is going to open you up to opportunities you never imagined. Just Mm -hmm. do them. Say yes when you can. And the thing about my ambition and and my dreams is that, like, I I don't even know I have it until it's in front of me. You know, it's like Mm -hmm. I, I didn't know I wanted to write a movie and then I did. I didn't know I wanted to work for TV and then I did. I didn't know that I wanted to be a showrunner. Now I do. But it's like... Um, those were like dreams that happened from interventions in my life, not mm-hmm. from like my, not like a childhood ambition. I, I know I always wanted to be a writer, but like, I never, I didn't, there, there didn't, there wasn't access for people like us to a job like yep. that. There weren't like Taika Watiti wasn't winning an Oscar so that he could pair with Sterling Harjo to make reservation dogs so that I could like take my generals with like who, I, like, so that people took meetings because they read my work. You know what I mean? So it's like the, the part the the dream is audacious because it seems like so many things have to line up at the right moment. Yeah. But mm-hmm. mom, you can also make the moment, right? As or much you, as you can, yeah. Yeah. Um, for me, the and some of this has to do with my own imposter syndrome that I'm always battling. But like the idea of publishing my own book feels as much like a pipe dream as it did in 2009 when I was, like, just applying to MFA programs. Like, like despite the fact that it's been so long, I'm in the position that I'm in, I've done all this work and, you know, all of that, and I'm well set up and all of that to move forward in that goal, that still feels to me that far away, despite the fact that I'm, like, basically right there. <laughs> it does, and that's uh, but, crazy. That's crazy. Yeah, I know but, that's... You know I'm going to get on you about finishing your goddamn book. I know, book. I know. Finish you your will. book, Dan! <laughs> Finish the are. fucking novel! Um, but the other thing is I, and this I've sort of learned and become been able to become more specific about now that I work in publishing for the first time, like full time, but I want to eventually be running my own book imprint, um, you know, at a, at a major that. publisher. So that's the sort of eventual goal that I'm moving towards and working towards. And I am even now starting to think through things and, and, and take steps to move forward in that, in that direction. But for such a long time, I had no dream other than writing my own work. And I think a lot about Toni Morrison and how she said the function of freedom is to free somebody else. And so if I can find ways to do that in publishing as a, as a person with power in publishing and who wants to continue to, to ascend the industry, um, then that's what I want to do for Mm. people who are of color, for people who are queer, particularly for trans people and gender nonconforming people. So that's my dream. And if eventually we can say that the publishing landscape and who is being published and well-published um, and being paid to do so um, has continued to change and to move in that direction, then I will be very happy. And just think how, when we started this show, how many of those dreams seem so far away and how much closer we are to them now. Oh, shut up. Fuck, Pete's about to make me cry. Gay. Um, I'm feeling like I'm full, but I could fit one more thing inside of me. Den, you know how I feel. So oh. to put our cherry on Oof. top this week, Fran, give us a little taste. Okay, I recently read a book called Do Nothing by Celeste Headley. Mm-hmm. Um, she is an amazing kind of researcher and journalist who has ba- basically overhauled what is the invention of the workforce in the United States and taken a look 
at like how we have created and sustained a very toxic, what she calls efficiency culture. Um, and I feel like this is something that I was the queen of at the beginning of this pod. It was something that I proselytized. It was something that, you know, I was very proud to wear and I was like happy to be busy and happy to be a workhorse. And like, you know, I still am a workhorse. I'm still an organized person. I still, I'm an overachiever, but I am constantly trying to measure myself and to moderate. And I think that this book did a lot to teach me how to do that. Um, it, the book is called Do Nothing, but it really should be called Do Less, to be honest, because it's it's mostly about how we have created nine to five work life kind of metrics in our own lives where it doesn't belong. So like, even if we don't have an employer who's giving us health insurance, even if we don't have a boss, even if we don't have like a hierarchical system that we're reporting to, we are still saying, oh, I did an entire hour and I didn't get anything done. And it's like, that is crazy. It's crazy that like we as a culture do that. And what she kind of does a lot of like, analysis on is the ways that efficiency culture really doesn't create more work. And even though the United States is maybe the first or second in terms of like countries that clock the most hours in the workforce, we more often than not get the least done statistically. And that people that take time off overwhelmingly have proven to be more efficient workers and and get more done and are just for the most important for the most important part happier with their lives. And I think that like I personally like I had a really big come to Jesus like a you know two or two-ish years ago where I like took a step back from my life and I was like I have defined myself by this and like it's not there anymore. Who am I? You know? Mm-hmm. And I think that a lot of people have not done I think that it's worth it for everyone to examine the ways they become their own oppressors, like in an extremely everyday kind of context. Um, and I don't know. I, I mean, if you honestly just read the introduction to this book, you will be like overwhelmed. Like, I think I remember a passage where and she says something. She's kind of giving an allegory about, you know, learning how to swim. And she's like, let's say you want to learn how to swim. You sit, you sit down at a computer, you Google how to swim. You check out a few books about how to swim. You maybe watch a YouTube series about how to swim. You um, maybe book a class about how to swim. You like buy the goggles, you buy the flippers, you buy the blah, blah, blah. And she lists all these things. And she, she says, you do everything except get in the water. And I think that that like really shook me because like I find myself more often than not doing the preparation work and doing tons and tons of things to get ready to work on something before I actually do the thing. Because I have taught myself that efficiency means I have to like prepare as much as possible. Um, But it really actually just like keeps us in this like holding state of fear. Um, Yeah. 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 Well, I was going to say, I feel that so much because, like, I haven't worked since February. Mm-hmm. And, like, yeah. finding, 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 um, I don't want to say meaning or purpose because that feeds into this aspirational culture that you're talking about, this efficiency culture. But learning how to be without working, without having that as the measure of my worth as a person has been a really interesting exercise. Mm. Learning Mm. how to be, period. That is what it is. And I honestly think a lot about um, uh, like, I mean, just in the the lesson of like life purpose in general, it's like there is like the the concept of life purpose is Mm. like a lot of times a distraction because life Mm. is the purpose, you know? And I think this book was like a really... I thought I had learned everything about, you know, efficiency culture and burnout and like all these other buzzwords floating around. And like, I could not stop underlining passages in this book. So strongly recommend. I definitely also, I haven't read the book, but I think a lot for myself about if I want to do creative work, a part of doing creative work is giving your brain time off. Mm -hmm. Like not even just like not prepping, like literally being like, from Thursday to next Tuesday, 
I'm not doing it. I'm not reading a book to research. I'm not sitting in front of my screen. I'm not even thinking about projects as much as I can. I do the meditative thing of like, Mm -hmm. if a project enters my brain, I might jot down a note if I have a good thought about it, but I also just try to let it go. I try to do long, like for me, long walks have been so like, I try to put my phone down or even leave it at home. And I just take my dog out for like three hours. Mm. And it's just a beautiful, like it, it just makes space. And I've been really struggling with this as I get ready for book launch stuff because a book launch is just like to-do list after to-do list after interview after to-do list after this marketing thing and that marketing thing. Do we have the address for this arc and did we get the sign off for this thing? And it's just like relentless. And I've been trying to work on new projects and my brain does not – even if I build time today, 100% of the day, I'm going to be working on the novel. No, I'm not going to be working on the novel because my brain does not have the capacity Mm -hmm. to do that type of creative work. Because I haven't given it space. So I'm like, nope, not working on the novel today. Going on a four-hour walk with my dog. Whew. Most, I love most people walk. are uncomfortable. Oh, sorry. <laughs> most people are uncomfortable with idle time. And I think that's 100%. just what it's about. Is It's like learning how to live in that and know what gets done during idle time. It also, is that I'm like now always... scheduling idle time in my life. I'm like That's this it. Thursday, this Thursday is idle time. This Saturday, idle time. Not allowed to work on any projects. Can't see friends. Sometimes I, it's like this is idle time where I'm not even going to see friends. This is idle time where I'm going to nap all day. That's it. It's in the cow. I always, something that helps me, and I do think that folks who are super production minded can think about is that like you all are saying idle time is a tool in helping you do better work when you need to do your work like like sometimes you like i've started like occasionally i'll take like a short even like a 15 20 minute nap in the middle of the day at work even when i'll feel super stressed and feel like i have to keep going because i'm like no i'm tired i need a little break my brain needs a little break and if i take this 20 minute nap i'll come back and really like little cat naps do work wonders for me i'll come back and i'll be so much more alert i'll be so much faster i'll be a lot more productive with the time that i have but one of the things that i i have haven't read this book either, but I saw some kind of graphic on Instagram in the last few days that said something about how the concept of life purpose is something that we should be questioning and that not everything has to basically what Fran has been saying. And that's, you know, it's okay if you feel like your life purpose is to be here and to be present and to be beautiful. And like that, that's all fine Mm. too. And that's like a bit of a new idea for me. And I've always sort of loved this concept of life purpose, but I'm realizing that as a person who's like, for the most part, not really, um, employing Judeo-Christian thinking in my everyday life, that this concept of life purpose for me, I trace it back to my Judeo-Christian upbringing. And it's a Mm. part of that that is really, really ingrained in me and in my worldview. And, Mm. And I've been aware of that, but I guess the point is it only recently occurred to me that like I can question that and I don't have to live by that. And even if I do sort of live by that, I don't have to employ it every single day. You know, I can be like, these are days that are away that are taken away from my life purpose and that's also okay because everyone needs a break it's part of being a human well said this episode of Food for Thought is made possible by the generous, unequivocal support of Rosé and our new home at Stitcher. Our producer is the righteously rigorous Rigatoni, Alexandra De Palma. Rigatoni! <laughs> Subscribe, rate, and review us five stars on iTunes, or we make den where boxer briefs. Ah! <laughs> Abuse! Abuse, I tell you! I am Tommy Teebs Pico. You can find me at Hey Teebs on Instagram, because I deleted Twitter. Alex just about. said in the chat, I'm cooking, I'm cooking rigatoni <laughs> right now. Right now. <laughs> I would say, is rigatoni the one with the hole in the middle, right? That's a penne. It's the one with the fat, it's the one with the gape. The fat hole. Yeah, yeah it's like the, it's like, it's like the, the penne is my hole, the rigatoni is Den's hole. <laughs> I'm Joseph Osmondson, scientist, nonfiction writer, and as always, you can find all the information you need about my upcoming book, <laughs> Virology, at www.virologybook.com. Take Y'all it away. Y'all cannot see the Den. facial expressions in this Zoom chat right now for Zo- for Joe's rigatoni hole, Joe. <laughs> Everyone is aghast. <laughs> wow. Um, I'm Fran. You can find me at Fran Squishco anywhere you want. And please listen to my new podcast, Like a Virgin, wherever you listen to podcasts. Um, Den Michelle here, and I would like to clarify that my hole is a lot more like a gnocchi because it's closed up.
than rigatoni. <laughs> Not a gnocchi. Uh, I don't, Gnocchi's like, I don't, you know, like a, basically a very dense potato-like kind of yes, sack. Yes, it's, it's closed up. It's closed I'm up. I'm guessing fusilli. Fusilli's the one with the tight Not fusilli. No, fusilli's the corkscrew, isn't oh, it? Oh, a corkscrew hole would be Fusilli is the corkscrew. <laughs> what I'm saying is that there literally, is no literally. hole because our conversation about monkey pox has made it close up. Literally, Thin literally whole pasta. Fully closed Literally, up. ducks have corkscrew holes. Pustules. Ducks. Oh, ducks have corkscrew the one with the tight holes. Alex, you're keeping hole. yes. all of this in. Oh, I, I, I my pussy, You know, Anyways. my pussy has become a bucatini. Um, I'm I feel sorry. like I feel like I'm the bucatini is. Roots. I do not know any pasta names. I'm so sorry. I feel like the bucatini is more for sounding. Like it's a, it's like the bucatini needs to be sounded, not plowed. It's a it's oh. a pee hole. You know, oh, what? The, you know what? I'm Midwestern. The bucatini my, is a urethra. I'm Midwestern. My pussy is an elbow macaroni. <laughs> That's fair. That is that Let's is that is that's a, that, that is, is that is quite, accurate. Uh, and left it, turn, it, if you will. And it's um, filled it's with cheese sauce. Um, I'm Dead Michelle Norris, and you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at the Dead Michelle, where apparently I will be talking about my pasta shaped unani. Oh God! That will be next Alex, week's episode. keep all of it in. You're keeping all of this in. Pasta punani. Oh keep my it all. God. Find us on Instagram as Gay Slow to Read and join us on Facebook and Twitter at Food for Thought Pod. And finally, send your questions, thoughts, concerns, and dick pics. Dick pics. To thoughts at foodforthoughtpodcast.com. As always, that's food, the number four, and thoughts spelled how? T H O T. Wow. <laughs> we did Fail. so good at first. Okay. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 